electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Big show ahead. The CEOs of both GE and Raytheon Tech as earnings from the industrial sector like 3M and UPS also roll in. Apple, Google, Microsoft on deck tonight. Case Shiller home prices on the bottom of your screen and futures are off the early lows as the major indices are on a five-day win streak. Our roadmap begins with Tesla's record quarter blowing past expectations. Elon Musk says the chip supply chain challenges remain key to continued growth. Plus, we are keeping an eye on those big industrials. GE lifting its full-year free cash flow target on hopes for a recovery. Right. And that Chinese stock crumble, Hong Kong's Hang Seng, falling more than 8% in just a couple of days. Uh, Jim, we got a lot of kindling to work with. Oh, do we ever. We're just talking about the Tesla call uh, with uh, Andrew. You said it was going to be key to the the print. Well, I mean, in the end, targets were raised. People liked it. it They're making a lot of cars in would have made, and I think this is kind of the takeaway, would have been able to sell a lot more cars had they had more availability. And there are people who are going to say uh, that, well, wait a second, is demand as strong as he says? And I trust him. I trust him when he says that, look, had they had a chi- had there not been a chip shortage, uh, he would have blown away the numbers. David, what I didn't like about it is that's what all the, air, uh, that's what all the car companies would have said. And I, I would have thought there was no wizardry to the court. No alchemy, but no wizard. Right. Um, I wonder, Jim, and earlier on Squawk Box, about 6.45 this morning, there was an analyst very negative on the um, what he says, at least, is a slowdown in their ability to actually produce batteries. I mean, Musk did did bring up the whole Baskin-Robbins comparison, uh, saying, you know, we have 36 flavors of batteries at this point. And there are those who say, well, that is going to, that, what, again, what he went on to say, the engineering drag coefficient is going to actually mean fewer batteries available, and therefore things are going to get delayed. But a, a lot of what he was saying was, <laughs> it's kind of funny, that manufacturing is difficult, whether it be battery, whether it be uh, semiconductors, there's a lot of moving parts. And again, uh, you know, Carl, when I want to listen, I want Elon Musk to tell me, you know what, to pick up. I've got orders, uh, be out, and it's going to come in December, and you're going to just love it. Berlin, uh, let me tell you what's going on in Germany. China, I don't know what all the talk about is of a slowdown. I mean, none of that. Instead, it was like, hey, we got a semiconductor shortage, and it's going to be difficult. And then he had the, the contempt for the analysts and the uh, love for the people who are the, the power to the people call. You know, David, he likes to do that with, uh, let's have some fanboys in, and the fanboys ask questions. And my takeaway was, okay, it's hard to, hard to build a car. All right. There you go. Well, <laughs> instead, Jim, instead of the things you, you were hoping to hear, he talked about chips. But I think the more interesting uh, soundbite is the one about Apple, not necessarily calling the company out by name, but uh, referring to their overall business model and his personal view of it. This is what he said. Our goal is to uh, support the advent of sustainable energy 
uh, is not to create a walled garden um, and use that to bludgeon our competitors, <laughs> which is sometimes used by some companies. <coughs> <laughs> He's hilarious. Uh, a little Apple joke. Well, I think there's going to be an Apple joke on him later tonight when there seems like a, a company knows how to make a lot of money. Now, Tesla did make a lot of money, but the wall garden use, anyone can use the charging station. Again, I come back to the idea that you never want Tesla to be another car company because then the magic is lost. Right. I wonder if he does see Apple, though, as an eventual competitor. Um, I mean, when you walk into a car these days, the operating system and what you've got in front of you is as important as anything and the ease of use. And that's only going to grow as we get closer to autom- full automation, right. where really, what is it about the car that you care about or what distinguishes it? Well, uh, look, you're and, and right. you do wonder whether Apple eventually will finally make that move as it becomes closer and closer to really just a user experience with technology. Well, you know, the king of Intel is talking about a doing amazing things with mobile The king of Intel. King of Intel. Is that what you call him? Well, I think he's the CEO. Pat Gelsinger? Yes. Yeah. He's the king. Oh, he's the king. He's the king. I didn't know that. But he's only king of Intel. He's not king of chips. Not yet. Now, I like Pat. I like to have a little fun with him. But in the end, Mobileye might be real. Because he's promising me we're going to drive around New York driverless. So maybe he's ahead of Musk. Maybe Jim Farley, related to Chris Farley, late, late me. Maybe Jim Farley's ahead of Musk when it comes to the Mustang E and when it comes to the uh, Lightning uh, F-150. F-150, David, being the greatest uh, selling pickup. Pickup has got a thing in the back. So you think the, the population of would-be competitors is broader than European luxury exactly. OEM? Exactly. I and mean, I looked at the Lucid again. You know, maybe, maybe pick up a Lucid. Fisker, $45 billion market value on good old well, Lucid. Everybody's wrong. The, 40, prices, the prices billion. are all wrong. United Parcel really down 14. Is she kidding me? $45 billion. 16. I mean, what did she just say? Did I mention Lucid's got a $45 billion market value? Just well, well, it's high. Some people were a little confused, it, it, I think. It's, it's high. And, uh, that they had 1.6 billion shares. Um, it's, yeah, it's high. It's banking on them being a true and serious competitor at the high end. To, no, it's to, banking uh, on enthusiasm. See, and that's to, what's been... Look, these things work until they don't. I mean, for instance, AMC. I happen to absolutely love AMC, all right? And I think that Adam Aaron is doing everything right. But oh, I thought you were talking American Motors. <laughs> oh, I like that. We're talking the cars. Pacer. Then suddenly, no, yeah, I'm the saying that there are, magic, movie there are magic stocks. And they're magic until you get to what they actually do. And then is it, is it a $20 billion stock, AMC, if they have very few? United Parcel is just stunning. My travel trust owns it. I feel like a complete idiot. So I, we're, we were going to do GE, but you really uh, yeah. are paying a lot of attention to what UPS said uh, 306 beats 283, revenue up 14, but the margin guidance, Jim, and then no EPS guidance. Revenue growth just now is really, really subpar, 5.4%. Uh, that's not what I was looking for. Nowhere near what I'm looking for. Now, you know, Carl Tomei is on, and I intend to not commit suicide before I film it. Uh, I do think that when you look at that kind of drop, it's the most, that's the most uh, glaring drop. And I think it's, I was going to say it's UPOD under promise over deliver, but um, that's quite a stunner for a company that's earned that, that, you know what, this is, you know what's a stunning thing? When you get a stock that's suddenly a high yielder because the stock price is going down. Right. It's not what you want. No. Although, again, to be fair, it had a great move. You, it did. Part on the str- obviously. No, you're, you're a fair of, person. 
of the strength of its business. Right. But, okay, um, so I'm just momentarily stunned. Let me go back to what I'm talking about with, with these, like even the meme stocks. Like, let's say Ryan Cohen, who's the savior of uh, GME for no particular reason other than the fact he's got, like Baskin Robbins, you referenced that, he's got ice cream cones. Yes. Well, let's say if he came out and said, you know what, I've looked at things and we can earn 50 cents next year. 50 cents. Right. Well, that would be the end of the, of the whole meme thing. It would. Now, how about if Aaron Amaran comes out and he says, you know what, I absolutely love how we're doing. We won't make money until 2025. Um, that ends the magic. And what I'm saying is, is that Elon Musk ended the magic yesterday. He sounded like another car company. Just another car company. Making a few more cars. Making a lot of cars, though. Well, you're making a lot of cars, but not compared to GM. You could sell a million cars at some point in the not-too-distant future. It's pretty good for a year. Okay, so, all right, let me just play devil's advocate. Sure. Let me play Lucifer for a second. Okay. Um, I think that the reason why I'm saying these things is because, see, the stock's up 6 bucks. It's not up 60 bucks. It's not up 600 bucks. It's not the old days. If he talked about the magic... It would be at 60. Instead, he's talking about earnings right? and being hurt a little bit by chip shortage and makes a funny joke about Apple. Welcome to I'm the not, OEM business. Exactly. Yeah. Manufacturing's hard. Well, tell that to GE, who's trying to get out of it. It looks like, right? Well, a lot of manufacturing. No, they're not the aerospace. We'll talk to Larry Cole. But yeah, we're going to talk to Larry Cole. I didn't need to hear. Uh, 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 if I, I can go get a good tool and die, man, if I want to hear about how bad manufacturing is. All right? <laughs> Uh, we are going to talk to Culp, um, GE, uh, 50, uh, five cents beats two cents, uh, revenue ahead, organic, nice swings in organic revenue, Jim, uh, and in orders from Q1. I loved it. I like the cash position. Uh, I like the what I think is a, a, a healthcare business that is a gem, that's reasserting itself as a gem. I think that David Wind, uh, not emphasized enough, I think, when we talk to Larry, but aerospace it looks like that that the airlines have money and they want to make their they want to service their planes because they got a lot of money from the government. They did. Yeah. Um, interesting. They almost the, the numbers from all four businesses in terms of revenues were roughly the same. Now, aviation, obviously, perhaps or used to outweigh all of them, but they all come in right around four billion plus. Uh, but you're right. They raised. They raised guys. Are you saying it's a coincidence or something? What are you saying? No, no. I just think it's interesting how equally weighted right now they are on a revenue basis. Oh, and I do for like that. Four divisions. And that's I do all, like that's that. What, that was my point. And remember, one of the great things about healthcare, you know, they go into. Unfortunately, if you have to go in an MRI or whatever, it's, you're looking at G. Oh, maybe Siemens. You know. So. Yeah. But they're a dominant company, and I really like the fact that they're uh, that this the company looks more and more like a company. Yeah. Not As opposed to adjusted. Uh, remember when they used to have like there, there would be A, B, X, Y, M, Z. There was a great deal of complexity there. Obviously, a lot of it brought on by GE Capital for right. many years. Um, right. There's still a level of complexity here. What do you think here. that masked, David? Excuse me? What do you think that masked? Well, that's always been a question. You've got to go back 20 years or more now. Oh, I find that I like the fact that GE reads like a lot of other companies. It's got free cash flow. Talks he about wants how to be viewed that way. I mean, he, here's his quote, right? We're transforming to a more focused, simpler, and stronger high-tech industrial company. Right. So it's, it's a good message. We'll good talk, message. And we'll talk the to The stock is up nicely we'll because it's about, it's, it. it's about how um, it's not that hard to manufacture well. Right. Kind of contrast with Musk. He's talking about how difficult it is. Um, 
Can we talk China a little bit before we... Uh, oh, before thank we, God you brought that up. Because I haven't had... Oh, we're going to do that after the break. We're going to save that for the B block. I wasn't sure. I think, I mean, your point about aviation, both pertains to GE, uh, Raytheon. Oh, okay, there. The guide there is air travel. And then we got JetBlue, which really didn't have the landmines you might expect, given the Delta variant. No, and Raytheon, same way. When we talk to to Greg, he's going to say, hey, listen, Delta variant, we're not seeing it. GE's not seeing the Delta variant. I mean, the only people seeing the Delta variant are the shorts trying to tell us about the Delta variant. And unfortunately, if you have the Delta variant, if you haven't been vaccinated, you get the Delta variant, you've been vaccinated. So you're getting political. You might have a little bit of a cold. You're getting political with me. No, there's nothing political (laughs) about it. And that's the point he's making. That is the problem. Everybody. David, don't bring up something like that and not talk about the politics. Who would have ever thought? It's amazing. Politics of life and death is very difficult. That very that difficult that's where David. we would be as a nation. Oh, we, had, we had some inkling. Anti- might, you're anti-sickness, are you? Yeah. He's anti-sickness. I have no room for that. <laughs> when we come back this hour, as we said, uh, CEO doubleheader. GE's Larry Culp, Raytheon's Greg Hayes will join us live. Really important numbers today. Futures, um, we got five days up. And uh, if the NASDAQ does it again today, the longest win streak since July and August of last year. More Squawk on the Street in a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Chinese tech names extending their losses as Beijing's regulatory crackdown intensifies. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong already down more than 8% this week. Uh, David, the MSCI Emerging Market Equity Index is now down for the year. It's been remarkable. It has. Uh, You know, and obviously not all names created equal if you go over there. Some of the battery companies, for example, down, but not down dramatically. Um, contemporary uh, Amperex, for example, is one name that's getting hit today, but overall only 10 percent off its highs. But many of the others, listen, investors are just trying to f- try and yeah. understand what is very difficult to fully understand, which is exactly what the end game is here. Uh, does this go on and on? Uh, does it does it in some way? Uh, is it reminiscent of of of, of previous 
sort of hammer blows from the Chinese government where they back off eventually, Jim, and then there's an opportunity. Some people citing, for example, the move they made against the gaming companies a number of years ago. It looked like death blows at first, but then they backed off and investors were able to once again reassess their prospects. Or is this a different dynamic at this point where, you know, uh, where she, President for Life, is, is just basically saying, I'm in charge. You're not listing over there. You're not raising capital over there, as in the United States. You are Chinese companies. We want full control of what you do and how you do it. Well, I think when you look at, you make an industry, a for-profit industry, into a non-profit industry, that's confiscation. I sometimes wonder, is he picking on the companies that have big positions in the United States? Yes, I think he is. He's crushing portfolio manager. To a certain extent, uh, now, he is. But, you, I mean, I, I, yeah, there are so many different things. So somebody else is saying, well, listen, they're trying to figure out what the benefit to society is of these new economy companies. Something, by the way, we're kind of doing here, too, sometimes. Right. And maybe they're coming up well, with not much. But maybe they don't like the fact that Larry Chen was worth, uh, I don't know, $25 billion in that, You know, $18 billion. Now he's worth $250 billion. They don't, I don't think they like billionaires over there. I mean, it's a communist country. Billionaires are kind of glaring. Do you see the Deutsche Bank excellent piece on China education called Final Toast? And he's yeah, taking, the education companies is, are basically his, going to become not-for-profit. Do you see some of his price in. targets? He's and got one uh, GOTU but goes, I mean, in part taking that, from 97 to $3. That's a reduction. Yeah, that's a reduction. And they've gotten absolutely crushed, Carl. Now, some of it goes back to their, their hopes for to the Chinese are going to start having more children because it's so expensive yep. <laughs> to well, raise he, kids, also, and they're trying to figure well, that also, out. Also, who has the money? I mean, remember, their society is very similar to ours, which is really amazing because it's communist, where if you have the money, you can get your kid to have better tutoring than other kids. And, and that's kind of like our country, and they don't want it to be like our country, right? Our country, the rich kids get tutored, and they go to the good schools. In China, it's the same thing. And she doesn't like that. Good for she. Oh, our Eunice Yoon this morning was outside an education center that's having to pivot to corporate learning uh, and one-on-one tutoring rather than uh, classical teaching. I need to know whether he's picking on our companies. Well, I don't know. Listen, you, you know, if you want to make or Tencent or Baba or Pinduoduo, you've, you've got some issues here. Obviously, Didi, well, we've he, seen as an $8 stock after coming public at 14 But did you hear Kyle, your friend Kyle Bass um, talk about how these are just fantasy football names? Yeah. Well, fantasy football, you got to take that seriously. I mean, fantasy football Listen, is, that means that these are not real. They're I, not, you don't, you don't own a piece of these. You are. Right. That's the VIE structure you're talking about. Right. right. That's well, another issue. But uh, but here we're just uh, investors are just trying to grapple with the idea of, OK, is is it ever going to be safe? Well, do you see or am I done? Do you see he's making these no longer? You know, these are no longer Woodstocks. Yeah, she's out. Yeah. She's selling them hand over fist. Right. Well, for five a, straight days, right? At least in oh, the case. It's tensor. endless. How much does. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Raising capital in, uh, in Hong Kong is not as easy. It's, you know, it's going to be a discount. And yes, yeah. it's, it's further closing the door between the two countries in some ways. I think that it's very much aimed at us. I think that she, well, we'll talk to Greg Hayes and Raytheon. But this is just, it's like a full court press wherever we deal with she. So you're not recommending anybody buy Chinese stocks, huh? I, 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 I'm, off, I'm saying people should take a pass. Yeah, take a pass? Take a pass. Take a pass to the Chinese stocks. Okay. When we come back, as uh, Jim said, live interviews with the CEOs of GE and Raytheon. A lot to talk about. We'll get Kramer's Mad Dash. One last look here at the futures ahead of the opening bell in 10 minutes. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, let's get to a mad dash with Jim. Uh, we've got, what, seven and a half or so minutes before we get started with trading here on a Tuesday. AT&T is a name that our viewers know you do not like. Well, you know, look, if you have nothing bad to say, if you have something, just, you don't have to speak bad of companies. You just give the facts, Dick. Okay. Now, AT&T reported a so-called better-than-expected quarter last week, but the stock went down. So I don't regard that as better-than-expected. So I searched for reasons. I searched for Man's Search for Meaning. Very good book. And what I come back with, there's an Argus piece today. Excuse these, but I'm really just having trouble here with the reading. And it says, we're downgrading ATT uh, to hold in anticipation of dividend cut as the company sheds assets acquired over the last few years. While management, this is the key, the problem on, while management has assured investors that ATT will maintain a dividend in the 95th percentile of companies, the math just doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> That's the longest we've ever gone without a, without a sound. Um, I think a lot that of may be a record for I, you in well, general. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Except, like when you finish a, a shoot, they say we need ten seconds of room tone. I always interrupt that. <laughs> that made me very well, uncomfortable. Those well, eight it, seconds. that was the point. Yeah, because um, it, you know, David, people were in the stock for the dividend. Yes, they you won. said that many times. Yes. We know that the dividend, once the, once the deal with Discovery is completed and the spinoff of HBO and Warner Oops. is completed, we know the dividend well, is going to be cut. We've been through that. This well, is already no, reflective oh, of okay, that. Okay, so you think it's like... This is reflective yeah, but of that. I, I was trying to explain why well, it's not... not that, that, okay, David, have you, ever, have you ever climbed K2? No. Second, second tallest mountain, okay? Yeah. But the most dangerous mountain. Why? The famous right side of K2. So I think that what you've got here is someone who's explaining, look, it doesn't matter if it's better than expected. People have to get ready for the smaller dividend. And after that, I have nothing but good things to say. No, about it's going to be a different shareholder base to a certain extent. It is conceivably going to make them more competitive in the wireless wars, as they yeah. are, are so-called, between T-Mobile and Verizon. Next thing uh, you know, they're going to get into the uh, parcel business. Like yeah. United Parcel. You can't get away from that one. No, I can't. You see, because when you get... St- Stuck in the eye with a red-hot poker tends to have an impact. All right. Jim's going to have a lot more on UPS. By the way, that opening bell is just a few minutes away. And we also are going to be joined by uh, Chairman and CEO of GE, Larry Culp. Squawk on the Street, coming right back. Working our way through some of the industrials this morning. We talked about GE and Raytheon. We'll talk to the CEOs in a moment. 3M is also worth watching. Uh, 259 beats 228 revenue. Ahead, um, organic up 21, Jim, looking for 17, and they raised the guide. Yeah, I mean, I guess people are looking versus 2019. Look, I, I, I liked sometimes, but can't believe we have to be on the call because the stock was up looking really great, and Mike Roman went over the numbers. The numbers seemed very solid, a lot of different divisions doing well. But obviously, uh, some people are interpreting what's being said as negative. We've got to find more. Uh, I, I do think that 3M has a lot of divisions that did not seem challenged to me, but I, I have to hear. It's no different from when I read the Kate to keep harping this, the UPS quarter look great. And then on the call, obviously, we find other things. David? 
I haven't listened to the call. So, uh, you know, I agree. Taking a look at the earnings report itself, great. Jim, it did not look to be they one that great. would necessarily so, get a, a negative response. And, Although we'll see. We haven't opened yet. And I was, you know, going, going back with Mike, Mike Roman, and it seems solid to me, but... Uh, the only one of these stocks that's really up is GE because their GE did some things that genuinely made you feel better about how the company's doing against, uh, I don't know, geez, maybe, three, yeah, we got to talk about 3M. We got to find out more about that. Well, that put them up great. Certainly, there, there seems to be an air of, uh, okay, you raised the guide, but it was, it was because the first half was so strong, maybe not because you're so bullish about the second half. Right, right. I think that there's a lot of American companies that are reporting that are now having to deal with the fact that we had nothing but greatness last week. And that's difficult. And they're talking about raw materials. Now, raw materials, very interesting. I tried to hit... I, we, can, we can talk to Larry Holt about raw materials, but 3M is talking about raw materials uh, and COVID respirator demand being slower. I, I, I bet you when the end of the day you're going to want this thing. And it's an overreaction. Negative overreactions. People are just saying, it. I want clean. Yeah. By the way, opening bell here at the uh, end of CNBC Real-Time Exchange of the big board and specialty chemicals company Element Solutions at the NASDAQ. It's EV tech company Reautomotive celebrating a recent listing via SPAC, Jim. You mentioned um, cost pressures. Sherwin-Williams sort of hops on the PPG train in terms of talking about input costs and sort of a slowdown in do-it-yourself. It hasn't been a great quarter for paint. I mean, Sherwin-Williams had kind of pre-announced a lot lot of things, but yesterday there was a quizzical downgrade of Lowe's Corp saying that the do-it-yourself people aren't doing it themselves as much as the professionals who are thought to be going to Home Depot. Again, I thought it was a quizzical downgrade. Why? Because when you listen to what D.R. Horton says uh, and you talk to home builders in general, we're at 1.6 in building homes. We're going to go to 2 million. And if we go to 2 million, you don't want to sell Lowe's and you don't want to sell DR Horton. You know, certainly don't want to sell Sherwin Williams, although there the raw costs are, are, are not great. But it, you know, look, PPG started this, all right? And if you look at where PPG stock is, you're hard pressed to see it, whether we don't find eh, it's just it's not as much of a killer. But 3M says raw costs are higher. Why do people freak out when everyone knows raw costs are higher, David? Everybody knows that. It's called inflation. Yes, well, because they think perhaps it's here to stay, and they're not sure not how, much the price, how much price they can get in the marketplace, and therefore margins might be under some pressure. You know, come on. Look, at, look at Case Schiller just this morning. No. Uh, up 16.6 in a year. That's the biggest increase since data began in 88. Well, I mean, can we accept the fact that the world changed? I mean, there's a lot of... A lot of what I think is kind of uh, closed-eyed thinking, eyes wide shut. We have a world where we suddenly don't have to go to the office. Wait, are, am I boring you? Not at all. Okay. Because well, you yawned. No, I didn't. That hurt my feelings. I'm sorry. I didn't yawn. Maybe it was just a, uh, uh. But I do think that when we have a world, listen to me, will you? I'm listening all the okay. time. Even when you're not talking, I'm listening. That I like. Yeah. We have a world where the world changed because of COVID. And you now can have live in your house, all right? So what do you need? You, you need to work in your house. You work in your house. And what happens is you have to do it yourself and fix that house so you have an office. And that's not going away. Now, the new homes will have offices, but every older home is not designed for COVID. So why would you get off the, the DIY bus 
so early. Interesting. You know, Xerox uh, did have a comment about return to office this morning. Uh, they talked about page volume growing in Q2 and said our plan uh, assumes that most employees will begin office work by the end of the year. Modest in Q3, most by Q4. Well, that would be unbelievable. That would mean that, that Dr. Gottlieb is right and we're hitting peak uh, COVID right now. That'd be great. That would be great. Right. I hope it's right. That would be great. Oh, my God. You're going political again? I'm not going to the next guest. Oh my God. I'm not <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Let's do the next guest. As this guy to my right just said, shares of GE are uh, they're up. You've seen that uh, this morning. Uh, you can see right there, about 3%. The company did uh, beat earnings expectations, the analysts who follow it. It also posted positive free cash flow for its second quarter. And joining us now, first on CNBC, is Larry Culp. He is chairman and CEO of GE. And, Larry, always good to have you. Uh, feels like it's been a little while. You know, I-, I wanted to go to the big picture for a second, if I can, because there's a quote uh, from you, and I know this is what you want people to focus on. GE is transforming to a more focused, simpler, and stronger high-tech industrial company. Uh, that's what investors certainly want. What can you point to in this quarter that says you're accomplishing that task? David, Jim, good to be back with you. David, there's a lot in the second quarter results that the GE team posted today that I think speak to the transformation. Orders up 30% year on year. Services, which represent half of our revenue, were up 50% versus a year ago. Revenues up seven. Our operating margins expanded 1,000 basis points organically. And as you noted, we have positive free cash flow, which was something we weren't necessarily expecting just a few months ago. We look at that on, on balance. I think the underlying improvements in the business, and I would argue we've got improvements in every one of our businesses, really help drive that performance. And in turn, as we think about the rest of the year, you also see us this morning taking up our free cash flow guide to three and a half to $5 billion in terms of free cash potential this year. So there's a lot that we're proud of. I think the GE team had a good second quarter, a good first half, but a lot more to do with these businesses, no question. Yeah, well, aviation certainly is one where people had been concerned for obvious reasons. Uh, You say, you know, on the call, you said this as well, that you're confident in your path to recovery in aviation. What gives you that confidence, Larry? David, what we look at every morning are departures around the world by region, by engine platform. And what we've seen for several months here is the U.S. uh, recovering. You heard from all of our airline CEO customers just last week relative to those trends. We see Europe uh, slowly, gradually coming back here of late as well. China is just off single digits from where they were in 2019. So the key markets for us around the world are improving. We see that knock-on effect in our shop visit activity, which is really the core work that we do in our aviation services business. We saw shop visits improve sequentially in the second quarter compared to the first And we think we'll see continued sequential improvement into the back half. Clearly, lots of things that we all have our eyes on, including the Delta variant. But that said, it looks like the leisure traveler is back and business travelers are not that far behind. Hopefully, I think on balance, that's what gives us the optimism and the confidence about our aviation business. Oh, Elias, Jim, uh, when you talk about the business traveler coming back, I'm not getting that. is that and I look, I thought the quarter was good. I just want to follow up on what you said. I see the, that the regular traveler is really on fire, though. And 2019 numbers are being beat. And what that seems to generate for you is a lot of cash. Can you talk about cash? 
Well, we talk a lot about cash today at GE, rest assured. Clearly, the aviation business that generated more than $4 billion of free cash in 2019 is a key a part of our cash story that's largely in our services business. And as we see those departures accelerate and turn our shop visits improve, that gives us an opportunity to increase our, our cash billings to our customers. It's really that uh, pay by the drink, that power by the hour model. Obviously, it hurt us last year when the planes were not in the air. But as the planes fly, that's good for us. But it's not the only way in which we are driving cash in aviation and, frankly, across the company. We talked a good bit on the call this morning about the lean-driven working capital improvements we see. We're trying to be more efficient, more disciplined with our capital expenditures as well. So there are a lot of small things whose cumulative effect, Jim, really helps us drive the cash performance you see in the second quarter, the increase in the guide for the back half, and more importantly, that high single-digit free cash margin we talk about being our ambition over the next several years. But a lot of that free cash uh, margin, it just seems like you're just becoming better at what you do. It's not like that wind suddenly has a lot more orders or aerospace is on fire. It just seems like you're, you're a much better run company than you were because it's the gross margins that are generating a lot of this cash. Well, there's a lot that goes into it, Jim, but there's no question the teams, I think, have done a tremendous job the last several years really improving our operating discipline day in, day out. And it's the small things in terms of reducing cycle times, as we see in our aviation repair services, reducing inventory in healthcare, being quicker to uh, collect a receivable with uh, various parts of our power business, all contribute to this improved uh, overall operating performance particularly with, with respect to our free cash. Larry, some broader questions for you from me here in terms of the supply chain uh, and raw material prices. You know, you, you did deal with it a bit on the call, but, you know, what are your expectations when it comes to electronics, when it comes to resins, and when it comes to simply cost? Well, David, we're, we're certainly seeing, I think, what many other industrials are seeing with respect to semiconductors, resins, and the like. We took measures through the first half, I think, to by and large mitigate those headwinds so that we can look at our margin expansion and not lay off too much of that to the inflationary pressures that we're all dealing with. I think as we look at the second half, we know we're going to have to redouble our efforts across the portfolio because those shortages, which impacted more our deliveries than it did necessarily our margins, let alone the uh, the inflationary headwinds, are, are going to be there. But on balance, there's so much Back to Jim's earlier question, improvement in the way we buy, the discipline with respect to the way we operate, that all of those cost reductions on balance help us mitigate that activity. In addition, of course, we're looking to make sure we push price uh, where we can, particularly in our short cycle and to a degree in our some of our service businesses as well. Yeah. Um, the uh, you know China's not an unimportant market for your company. I wonder if you're concerned about just what continue to be rising tensions between our two countries, the recent moves by the government in China, of course, to really tap down the ability of their companies to access capital markets outside uh, of the home market. Is that a concern to you at all? David, it's certainly something that we're watching. China is an important market for us. Nearly 10 percent of our sales come from China. We've had a very strong first half of 2021 in our healthcare business in particular. As I mentioned earlier, departures in China uh, have returned more rapidly, uh, really 
more so than anywhere else in the world. That's good for our aviation business there. So we're fully engaged, smartly, smartly, thoughtfully, and as uh, as a local competitor or local company as best we can. And we want to continue to uh, serve the Chinese market to the fullest extent possible. Uh, finally, Larry, I just wanted to ask a question about compensation. It's almost a year ago. The board decides your comp. Uh, we all know that. But um, your shareholders didn't seem particularly happy with it. You know, almost a year ago, it was August, I think, 18th, they lowered your uh, target performance share vesting from what was twelve forty to $6.67. There was a non-binding resolution of shareholders saying they opposed that. What do you tell those shareholders as to why uh, they should not have done that? Well, I think a year ago, David, the board extended my contract. I was honored to have the opportunity uh, to be on this team when I joined nearly three years ago. And uh, obviously uh, delighted that the board has confidence in me to continue to lead the company into the future. All right. It's a good last question to ask. Versus, say, Larry, the lead question, which would have set the tone differently. It's, it's great, Larry, that I get reviews of my interviews in real time from my colleague. Um, Larry, we look forward to seeing you in person one of these days and certainly appreciate you always joining us. It's Thank good. you. The stock's going to go up big, by the way, because of a stock split. Reverse. Right. All right, guys, when we come back, an exclusive with Raytheon's uh, Greg Hayes. That's uh, getting a lift in. What's turning into a tough tape? Dow's down 216. All sectors are red. All but three Dow stocks are red. Take a look at how Treasuries are faring ahead of consumer confidence coming at the top of the hour. Uh, we're watching yields, and we'll keep an eye on that 10-year uh, as um, we get the board here. One, two, three, four. We'll be right back. All right, let's see if we can turn this nasty tape around. Raytheon Technologies trading higher. Remember, that's the old UTC or UTX or United Technologies. With, with Raytheon after beating estimates and raising their 2021 outlook, and it was clean. Joining us now for a CNBC exclusive interview is Raytheon Technologies Chairman and CEO Greg Hayes. And Greg, you know we always love to see you on Squawk on the Street. And thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been uh, it's it's, uh, it's always nice to be able to chat with a friend. There you go, David. Call me a friend. Yeah, That's what we like. You're a friend. Okay, David's not a friend, but I'm a friend. <laughs> All right, Greg, let's go right into it. You uh, seem to have an incredible aerospace business. It's almost as if the airplane companies, the airlines, are spending a lot of money. Maybe it's the government money to be able to get the parts that they need that is a pull-through versus where we might have had a, a basically a recession of orders. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an odd recovery here on the commercial aerospace side where typically, and I think we've, we've talked about this before, where, where we see a recovery in revenue passenger miles or RPMs, about six months after the return of traffic, the airlines uh, then have the financial wherewithal to start buying parts and overhauling engines and, and doing all those things necessary to, to meet the increasing demand. In this case, what we have seen is a recovery in commercial aftermarket and on top of or even ahead of the recovery in traffic. And that's caught us a little bit by surprise. Now, it's a good news surprise. It's just accelerated a lot of uh, aftermarket activity here into the second quarter. But it's, uh, it is different. Again, I would attribute it to two things. One is the airlines see the demand coming. And just as importantly, the government support that airlines have had around the world have allowed them to be in a position where they can actually spend money to get the planes ready. And I think that's a, that all bodes well as we think about the second half of this year as this recovery continues. Well, let's talk defense, because obviously Raytheon, when you merge, it's a huge business. I didn't think it was particularly 
at the time that well run. But when I look at, say, Lockheed Martin yesterday, uh, Jim Ticklett had a real good hand, but not a great hand. Why? Because they're F-35, which is something that you don't have that much involved with. Your uh, defense contracts are uniquely 21st century. If we do have uh, a Cold War or, heaven forbid, a hot war with China, can you tell us about how the war will be fought versus how we used to fight wars? I think what you have to understand is um, the war of the 21st century will first be fought in cyberspace and then in outer space. You're not going to see a land war in Asia. You don't don't need main battle tanks. Uh, you don't need um, you know, troops on the ground. It's going to be fought, again, first in cyberspace and then in outer space and then on the sea and then in the air. And I think we're uniquely positioned because, you know, again, we are, I would say, platform agnostic. We have the best sensing systems, the best effectors or missiles, the best comm systems. And we can play across all of the portfolio, whether it's on the, uh, the Navy side, uh, whether it's for the Air Force, whether it's for the Army. And it's all about protecting uh, the troops on the ground, protecting those ships on the sea. And again, we have some unique capabilities. And it's, it's going to change, though, I would tell you. And I, I mentioned this the other day that, you know, we had talked for the last 30 years about stealth technology. Well, stealth is interesting, but with the new hypersonics, speed will trump stealth. And I think that's important to keep in mind. And we are very focused on how do you defeat hypersonic weapons, be they space-based or land-based missiles. Uh, Something cruising along at Mach 5, it's tough to hit. And I think those are the technologies that we have that that can actually uh, help defend not just uh, the homeland, but also uh, ships at sea. So I feel very good about the portfolio and where we're making those big investments. Uh, Well, all right, Craig. Well, I mean, you said no land war, but then you said a lot of this is used to defend forces that are on the land. So uh, I just want to fully understand your your I mean, not that we want there to ever be war. And we all certainly hope none of this comes to uh, comes to pass. Yeah, look, again, the reason you have this superior defense technology is to have uh, such a strong hand that no one would dare to, to ever do anything. But when I talk about the homeland defense, what we're talking about is defending the continental U.S. from an attack, be, be it by a rogue state uh, with a missile uh, or some type of a hypersonic attack. And again, that's we're, we're not talking about land wars here. We're talking about how you defend forward air bases, uh, which is the Army's responsibility. You talk about how you defend against uh, any of these, these new weapon systems, how you defend your space-based assets. You think about it in the first few minutes of any war, uh, the goal of the other side is going to be to take out satellites. How do you replenish those? How do you protect those? Those are the technologies that we're focused on. Right. Um, Greg, back to something a little uh, less uh, worrisome, although still a worry is business travel and aviation. We just had Larry Culp on, one of your competitors. He seems to be pretty uh, sanguine on the prospects for it coming back. Where are you? I mean, we know, obviously, commercial travel has been very strong or excuse me, uh, individual travel has been very strong. But what about the commercial side? Yeah, so leisure travel has come back, uh, I think, faster than anybody expected, but not surprising given the the pent up demand. And leisure travel makes up about 70 percent of uh, air uh, our revenue passenger miles, let's say. Uh, Business travel is the other 30 percent. We don't really expect all of the business travel to come back before probably 24, maybe even 25. 
again, you know, we've all learned to to work remotely. Um, we've learned how to do that efficiently. And I think that's going to keep a, a lid on the recovery of business travel. Now, some business travel is essential. We need to be out at customers. We need to be out servicing our equipment. We need to be out supporting our customers. That half of business travel, I think, will come back relatively quickly as the, as the world opens up. Um, but I think the other half of business travel is going to be slower to recover as people have, uh, have found different ways to be productive and still be connected. And I think that's going to be the challenge as we think about the overall shape of the recovery. Good news, of course, is you know commercial air traffic, revenue passenger miles are still going to go up 5% a year. So what you'll see is probably um, that leisure portion um, uh, of the uh, travel uh, become more than 70%, maybe become 75 or 80%. But again, I think there's still going to be a demand out there for aircraft and aircraft engines and aircraft systems, and we're, we're well positioned there. Oh, Greg, just very quickly, you got a unique view on both Airbus and Boeing. It does feel to me right now that Airbus might be doing a little better than Boeing in execution. Are you finding that to be the case? Well, clearly, uh, Airbus has a, has a good hand with the A320 family of, of aircraft, and uh, they have uh, been trying to take advantage of, of where they are in the marketplace in terms of having a, I would say, a more modern aircraft than the 737. And if you think about it, the A320 is an aircraft that was designed in the 80s, but continually updated. 737 was designed in the early 70s. And while it's been updated, uh, it hasn't had a new wing on it. It does have new engines. But uh, I think uh, you know, Boeing is at a bit of a disadvantage today, especially given some of the challenges that the MAX had. Having said that, you know, we fully expect MAX will, production will ramp back up. I think they're talking about going to about 31 aircraft a month next year. Airbus uh, is talking about going up to 70 to 75 aircraft a month by 2025. So um, we're prepared to support both Boeing and Airbus, uh, both great companies. And uh, again, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But I, I, again, Airbus today probably has an edge on the marketing front with the A320, especially with the A321, this extra long range, the newest generation that will be introduced to, I think, end of next year. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But clearly, Airbus uh, is, uh, is doing well. Hey, Greg, really quick, uh, in light of what you said about corporate travel, does that have implications for what some hope is a graduation in this recovery from narrow body to wide body? Yeah, clearly. I think, you know, the, if you think about where the um, where the world is today, the narrow body, which is where we play primarily on the engine side, uh, has recovered, you know, back 70, 80 percent of where we were. But wide body, uh, trans-Pacific, transatlantic, uh, that is primarily a business uh, class uh, market. And that's the piece that, sh- that needs to recover more quickly. Uh, again, what's really why we're a little bit sanguine about what the back half looks like and next year looks like. We're just not clear that the business travel will come back as quickly as the leisure travel has. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for also being honest about business versus leisure, where we keep hearing it's right around the corner. Greg Hayes, CEO of Raytheon Technologies. Great quarter. Good to talk to you, sir. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, folks. We'll be right back. I think we know who's on Madison. Yeah, we got some successful stocks that are just being plucked, and it's, we got to get to the bottom of it. Yes, we have Cal Tomei from United Parcel, one of the great companies in the world. Uh, we have Brack and Darrell Logitech. It's the first time it looks like that people are not liking it. Any non cries, Mattel, after what happened with Hasbro yesterday, you got to believe it. Maybe we got something good cooking here. Um, but I guess two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> uh, it's going to be one to watch, Jim. We'll see you tonight. Very good. Uh, Mad Money, 6 p.m. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.